You're listening to More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. 619 is the time. Happy Wednesday, if such a thing exists. Uh, John Tory is going to be here at 635 to talk about the budget. It's also White Coat Wednesday, and Dr. Zane Chagla is going to be here to talk about some of the big medical stories of the year. Uh, well, of the week, actually, I should say. We're not exactly doing year-ends again. Uh, but right now, we're joined by Preet Banerjee, personal finance commentator, founder of Money Gaps, which you can find on the web. And Preet, always a pleasure. Good morning. Good morning, sir. So I, I don't know that our jaws dropped, but I really was somewhat shocked yesterday to learn that uh, John Tory's budget is going to raise taxes on uh, home ownership by 5.5%. I mean, there's an awful lot of talk takeaway to this budget, but I'm wondering what your broad strokes on it are. Yeah, you know, it's, it's certainly a tough pill to swallow given the increase in the cost of living, the increased interest rates that pretty much everyone is facing, including the city. So those same things, the cost of living increase, uh, increase in wages for city workers, that also affects the city's budget. Plus, you know, we have the other shoe dropping from the impacts of COVID that the city's been dealing with and we've been dealing with for now year three, I guess. Uh, so it was kind of always going to be in the cards that the city had to find ways to raise revenues. So, you know, I, I know that you're going to be speaking to the mayor. It might be worth pointing out, you know, the way in which city property taxes work is based a little bit differently than for, say, you know, income tax revenues to the government. And that is the city determines the revenue they need first, and then that determines what the city's property tax rate is going to be. And, and they do that so that they have predictability in revenue. So, with the increase in costs, they can just say, well, this is how much we need to raise, and therefore, this is what the property tax is going to be. It's, it might be interesting to have the mayor talk about that process and how it's different than just setting income tax rates or other tax rates. Okay. Are you of the mind of those who think that we need to find a way to tax people who don't actually own property in Toronto, but still actually spend an awful lot of time here. So they're using the services, but they don't pay for the roads. They don't pay for the waste and water and all of that stuff. Uh, I, I think it's worth exploring. I think I would still lean on property taxes and taxing ownership of real estate because one of the things that we've seen with growing wealth inequality is that it's the landowners that have a lot of the wealth. And so there could be maybe more to be done in terms of finding ways to tax people who come in and use the city. But the reason that they come into the city is because it's an attractive place to be, which benefits the landowners as well. So I don't know what the answer is, but I, I don't know if I'd stray too far from looking at property taxes as the main way to tackle that. A couple of outcomes from the Three Amigos Summit. First of all, uh, Joe Biden's coming to Canada. I don't know how excited we are about that. But uh, Canada's also <laughs> promising to purchase U U.S. missile defense systems and then give them to Ukraine. I should note uh, the defense minister, Anita Anand, is going to be on our airwaves at 7.20 this morning. But it's worth revisiting. There are some people who think that, you know, why are we spending money on a foreign war? I happen to think it's a great investment. 
I, I do too, and I'll, I'll point out that I have worked with uh, Minister Anand previously in a different capacity, not related to, to government. But in terms of the aid that was announced, um, it was announced a, a while ago, you know, the level of support, and it sounds like this purchase is fitting within that envelope. And I think it is a great use of that aid that had already been, been pledged. Um, I don't really have anything negative to say about it, to be honest. I think it's we should be giving Ukraine the support that that uh, that we can. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I don't see a conflict as black and white as this since the Second World War. I mean, there are good players and bad players. And if we can be on the side of liberty and, uh, you know, ending a foreign invasion, then let's do it. Yeah, I'm all for it. So uh, the U.S., Looking at the possibility of banning gas stoves, I, <laughs> honestly, this is a hill I'll die on. And and I have some people <laughs> saying induction is just fine. Sorry. Oh. I, oh. I, I, okay. You know, I I don't talk about this an awful lot on the show, but I went to culinary school, and I actually we you know sold and bought a house on the sheer merits of the fact that we wanted gas you know, to power the stove. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. So I, I just moved to the UK and induction hobs are the norm here. And this is not something that I'm used to. And I'll tell you, I hate it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely hate it. There are some positives. I mean, you can boil a giant pot of water in like two minutes, but there's like no sensitivity between medium and full blast. I cannot figure it out. <laughs> it is not the same as cooking on even an electric range. But of course, you know, the I think the the pinnacle would be a gas range. And I'm super envious of you. I had no idea that you went to culinary school. Yeah, well, and, and it, honestly, I hate electric because there's no subtlety to it, as you were just saying. And with gas, <laughs> you know, you up or down with just a tiny little turn, and it's a huge difference in, in what you're doing. So, um, interesting column today. I think it's in the Globe and Mail. It's Gary Mason writing about Pierre Polyevre's story, which I thought sounded like one of those Donald Trump stories where everything begins with sir, sir. Um, <laughs> but Pierre Polyevre tells a story about meeting a guy in an airport who, because he couldn't get his passport renewed, missed his own wedding in Cuba. And I just found that it didn't add up. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually hoping that, you know, Pierre Polyev can be compelled to, you know, give this guy up so we can establish whether or not it really <laughs> happened. Yeah, you know, it sounds to me like a case, a case of story selling. Uh, and that's where, you know, anyone in sales knows about this. This is when you take some creative license, sometimes a lot, and weave together a story for the intention of selling a product or service. And and everyone knows that, including the people who are being sold to. It is a sales technique. The problem is that, you know, if story selling becomes too creative, uh, both for people in the sales of products, you know, if you're a little bit too liberal with the stories that you weave, people can detect that. But for people in the sale of ideas, which is what politics is largely about, you're selling ideas, this becomes a problem. It's a slippery slope once we get to this point, because there's a lot of people who will never look at the facts and they'll just say, you know what, this lines up with what I feel about the situation. So, And it's fine by me if the facts don't line up. And I don't think that's a good place for society to be in. You know, this may not be a problem if you're a Polyev supporter, if you find out that, hey, this guy never existed, because you already agree with the sentiment behind the story, even if the facts don't line up. And if you are not, you know, a Polyev supporter, it's not going to change your mind either. But I, I think it's it's we're, we've gone to a place now where 
this idea of storytelling is just a little bit too liberal for my tastes. Yeah, I've always had an issue, and it usually comes up in leaders' debates, Preet, where they say, I was talking to Annette the other day, yeah. and she told me <laughs> she can't afford to buy bacon for her children. And it's like, okay, were you? Uh, and you're right. It's a legitimate complaint that Canada has a backlog in terms of supplying passports. But the idea that a guy has been trying to get a passport for 10 months and sent his entire wedding party and his bride-to-be to Cuba, even <laughs> when he didn't have a passport, just doesn't add up. It does not. It does not. I do want to get to the bottom of this. Where is Mustafa? Okay. Meanwhile, this is something that's been sort of digging into me for a good long time. It's people who are taking advantage of, for example, somebody dies at a young age and they say, see, it was the vaccine. And the latest case of this is Jessica Robb, who is a reporter for CTV Edmonton, who had some sort of an episode live on television this past weekend. And everybody jumped on it and said, it must be the vaccine. And she's come back swinging and said, you know, on Sunday night, a very personal and vulnerable moment unfolded as I reported live on the air. I have received an overwhelming amount, amount of harassment and hatred tied to false theories about the reason for this incident. Uh, I mean, Preet, there are people who have committed suicide or died of cancer who the anti-vaxxers are continuing to say died because of the vaccine. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I take a big step back and just after the holiday season, talking to friends and being with family and seeing how certain stories or ideas seem to have really blown up in family circles and social circles as a result of social media and the sharing of information and the building up of these, you know, conspiracy theory communities that permeate into the broader masses, this is really becoming an issue. You know, when you go back to the evolution of media and information consumption, the first version of the internet, people called it 1.0, it was one-way consumption. It was just you had access to stuff online that was normally static in a newspaper or TV or whatever. As we move to 2.0 and two-way flows of information where users could generate content and interact with content and form online communities, the exposure to these, you know, unvetted sources of information has really exploded. And now we're seeing the impact where people are biting into these conspiracy theories and there's enough other people there to support them that it just builds and builds and has this momentum and tearing that down and getting back to vetted facts and information. I think we've crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. You know, I I always thought that the internet was going to be a means of confirming what is true and what is not, but it's actually become a means of promoting garbage. Preet, thanks a lot. Good to have you. Thank you, John. Preet Banerjee, he's a personal finance commentator, News Talk 1010 pundit, and the founder of Money Gaps, which you can find online. It's 6.30, which means it's time for the half-hour headlines. Jess Kieran Cooner is here. Good morning.